be. And the person they need to really go to is the apostles, C, and say, listen, uh, there's a problem among, among us. You may not be aware of this, but here's the problem. Here's the situation. We need your help. But they don't do that. Um, they, just, they just grumble among themselves, and they're just complaining among themselves. Listen, uh, whenever you have a problem with somebody else where there's potential conflict, you really need to be talking to them, not to somebody else. Oftentimes, where potential conflict arises, we talk to um, our friends, we talk to other people at church, we talk to everybody, but with the person whom we're having the conflict with. And so when you bypass that person and you go to everybody else, you have just, you have just set up the playing field for Satan to enter into the situation and begin making things far worse than they would be had you just gone to the person you really needed to talk to. So they should have just gone to the apostle and says, in just basic, say, you, know, you may not be aware, but here's what's going on. We just feel like we're kind of being slighted because the apostles really were the guys who had the solution or were gonna come up with a solution as they eventually will. So again, nothing wrong to have criticism or, you know, if things aren't going right and you need to address something, that's fine. But, but they went to the wrong, the wrong people. They just combined among themselves and there was no solution there. And here's the second uh, problem they had. They attributed motive to the Hellenistic, or to the, to the um, Hebraic Jews. So let me just explain very basically. The Hellenistic um, Jews. These were, these were Jewish people who were born outside of Jerusalem, outside of the homeland, uh, in Greece, Asia Minor, other areas. Uh, these were individuals who, um, because Alexander the Great had conquered the known world about 300 years prior to this, and so Jewish people were living all over the world, and they were absorbed into the Greek culture, and they learned the Greek language, they learned the Greek culture. Even the Old Testament, which they would read, was uh, in the Septuagint, which was the Greek translation of the Hebrew uh, ver- uh, scriptures. The Hebrew Jews uh, are those who are, you know, they are indigenous to Jerusalem, to the homeland. Uh, they spoke primarily Aramaic. Um, some speak, spoke even Hebrew, but they were kind of like the uh, very conservative uh, in- individuals, like the Orthodox Jews of their day and time. And they felt like, you know, they were just a, a little bit superior to those outside of them. And so there may have been a little bit of prejudice going on between them. He, whether that is true or not, it doesn't matter. So the, the Grecian Jews, they complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows are not, they're being overlooked in the, in the uh, distribution of, the, of food. And it's, it's like they, the grumbling is like an accusation. It is like a, a, a attributing motive. I know why they're acting this way. I know why they're doing this. And so the Bible says to us, as Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged. What does that mean exactly? Well, we have to judge people's actions, right? The Bible says that we are judged someone's actions. For example, if you're married and your husband's, um, you know, neglecting you, you have to be able to tell him that. You have to be able to uh, confront the actions. That's not judging a person, but it is, um, it is not attributing motives. Like me going up to saying to somebody, hey, the reason why you're doing this is, and then you tell them what their motive was. Right? There is nobody who knows anybody's true motives other than God himself, unless they really want to tell you what their motives were. 
And so this is the conflict. This is, this is the, the hotbed of coals that erupts in the early church. It has the potential to bring great division among these believers, and, and it really could split the church. It, it could uh, greatly hinder or at least begin to squelch. Remember, when, whenever we sin, we, we grieve the Spirit, we quench the Spirit. It certainly could have been begun putting out the fire of the Holy Spirit as he was moving through these early believers. And so these two mistakes, they went to the wrong people, attributing motives, um, God help us for doing those things. So conflict resolution. How do we deal with conflict? What were they going to do with this situation? Now for us, it might seem like, well, you know, that's just such a trivial thing. I don't, I don't understand why they were all, you know, ramped up about this. But you have to understand, widows back in that day and time, they, they, they were dependent heavily upon their family, or if their family was not available, uh, obviously for these believers, in, for the church, because there's no welfare system, there's no, there's no uh, you know, subsidies that they're going to receive outside of, of what you know, their family or the church is going to supply for them. So this was a huge deal for them. So how do we deal with conflict? I don't, okay, our conflict may not be around, around this, but we all have conflict. We all have conflict in relationships, within our families, uh, with our workplace, within churches, um, everywhere we go. Because we're human beings with a fallen nature, right? We have the potential for conflict. So conflict resolution, how does it happen? Well, here's what I see. Conflict resolution, first of all, is based on common values. It's based on common values. Here's what you're going to find as to the solution that the uh, apostles bring to this situation. It says, The twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are full of the Holy Spirit. Turn this responsibility over them and, and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So here you have the elders the apostles, they're saying, listen, they've gathered disciples together. They said, this, the solution is easy. Just gather up seven. We're handing this ministry responsibility over to them because for us, we, we, we don't have the time to handle this situation. We have to stay focused on prayer and the ministry of the word. So here's the common uh, value system that they were laying out before the church. Ministry needs are important. Ministry needs are important, but prayer and ministry of the word is absolutely essential. Uh, it's not that it was beneath them. It's not what they were saying like, yay, we can't be servants. No, they, they, they had to be servants. Every, every leader has to be a servant. At times you might be cleaning toilets or whatever else has to be done. But by and large, uh, those who are overseeing the equipping of the saints of God, have, they must set as a priority, as an essential priority in their life that they spend time in prayer and the ministry of the word. Now, this past year, we celebrated the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. And the Reformation was putting back into the Word of God back into the hands of people. And the Reformation was about, you know, faith alone and Christ alone. But what we failed to do was to put uh, ministry back into the hands of the people. So for many, 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 many years, pastors were hired, brought into churches, and they were given the responsibility of doing ministry. 
All right, we even called them ministers, right? So that, that meant was, uh, you know, you do the marrying, the burying, uh, the counseling, uh, everything that needs to be done, hospital visitations and, you know, preaching of God's word and equipping God's people. And, you know, you're on every committee and, and we've got 500 things that we've attached to pastors that, that is a part of their responsibility. And what happens in the long haul is that they begin neglecting because of the, you know, the massive distraction, they, they neglect time in prayer and they neglect time in the word, which is the two primary functions of a pastor that has been placed as an overseer over the body of Christ. That should be essential to him or in order for that individual to equip the church as they are to be equipped. And so it's no accident that Two-thirds of churches in America are 75 people or less because that's all one person can handle. It's not the people in the churches don't do ministry. It's just that sometimes the expectations, and so they, right out of the gate, they realize, look, who did they learn this from? Moses, his father-in-law, Jethro, who said to Moses, you can't keep doing everything. You're going to have to break this down and you're going to have to put people overseeing these areas because you, you're not doing them any good and you're not doing yourself any good because you can't keep up with all the needs. So they realized that ministry needs were very important, but prayer and time in the word was essential to them. So they were going to hand this ministry off over to somebody else in order to see that it got done because it was important for them that it got done because that's what meeting needs do. They're important. Um, and so uh, that's the common values. Now, now I understand that in, 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 in churches that pastors can be lazy and not want to do anything. Um, Please don't mishear me, misunderstand me. It's, it's, uh, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying it is the overseer's responsibility to set their priorities. And biblically speaking, those are the two top priorities that should be a part of a pastor's life and makeup. But in recent studies and surveys, it's discovered that the average pastor spends less than 10 minutes a day in prayer. And the, time amount, the amount of time spent in, in ministering of the word of God is dismal at best. And so we have to get back and putting those priorities in place. And so that's one of the things that God's convicted me of over a couple years ago. And, and I'm striving as, as much as I can to make sure those two essential things stay priority in my life. Now, in order for us to move on to conflict resolution, just Put your finger there in Acts and go to Ephesians chapter 4 because here is the second way that we resolve conflict and that is conflict resolution is based upon personal sacrifice, on um, personal sacrifice. Well, what kind of personal sacrifice are we uh, talking about? And so, uh, you know, unity is so important to God that even Jesus himself said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And the Apostle Paul knew that unity in the body of Christ was so vitally important that in the um, application side of the book of Ephesians, you'll notice in chapter 4 in verse 1, it says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. 
Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is, who is of all and who is over all and through and in all. So in conflict resolution, there are four terms that Paul uses here that talks about the personal sacrifice we must make if we want to bring resolution into the midst of conflict. And so here's the first thing. I, I kind of like, this is like clothing yourself. Remember, we take off because in, with, God has the potential of transforming your life into the image of Christ in the midst of conflict. There's some things you want to take off. There's some things you want to put on. So here's what you want to put on. You want to put on, number one, humility. In the midst of conflict, there, there is a need of humility. He tells us, uh, you know, be completely humble. What does it mean to be humble? What is humility in the midst of conflict? Humility means giving up my opinions for the sake of unity. Opinions. We love opinions in our day and time, do we not? You float something out on Facebook and everybody has an opinion. The problem is we have elevated our opinions above the word of God. We think our opinion is more valid than what God may have to say about a situation. And so sometimes conflict resolution uh, needs to take place, not that we set aside the word of God and what God has to say about it in favor of our opinion, but we're giving up our opinion for the sake of unity. Um, Humility is the idea that I would rather take a wrong than inflict one. All right, so in the Greek and Roman era, uh, humility to them was, that was laughable. Like, why would you do that? Why, why, would you, why would you act in humility? Micah 6, 8 says, ask, what does the Lord require? And, and the Lord said to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humble before God. Jesus said, whoever humbles themselves will be considered the greatest in the kingdom of God. James 4 says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 1 Peter 5 says, humble yourself and God will exalt you at the proper time. So in the midst, uh, watch this, in the midst of conflict, if I'm prideful, my pride will say, listen, you're going to see it my way or it's going to be the highway. We're going to go at it until you, I've got you on my side because in my pride, I'm right, you're wrong, end of discussion, let's move on. Right? So humility says, humility says, you know what, um, we obviously have conflicting opinions here, and maybe we, we just, we're going to have to agree to disagree on our opinion, um, and so obviously I'm, I'm certain that when this situation came up in the early church, everybody had an opinion on how it should be dealt with, right? And so the, the question is, what did God want them to do? And so if, if I want unity, if I want to walk worthy of the calling that God has placed upon my life, then that means uh, sometimes unity is built upon personal sacrifice and humility says, you know what, I'm giving up my opinions for the sake of unity. Now watch this. But it's not giving ultimatums. <laughs> like, okay, if I'm going to have to give up my opinion to keep harmony and unity, uh, if you do this or that or the other, uh, I'm out of here. Or, you know, uh, this, is what's gonna, uh, this is how I'm going to respond, though. No? It's God giving you grace, you giving grace in the situation. You're coming at this 
source of conflict with a spirit of humility because what we are looking for is a solution that is uh, going to remedy the problem at hand, all right? But if I come in there pridefully, then it's all about me, right? It's all about me, what I want, what I desire. So if, if we're, how do we handle disagreements? First of all, just let it roll off your back if you can, like, right? If, if, if you have a disagreement with somebody, you don't have to get all fired up about something. You, you can just let it roll off your back. How many friendships have been lost on Facebook because somebody floated an opinion out there and somebody gave their opinion back and person A didn't like what person B had to say, then all of a sudden they get into this Facebook altercation and now friendships have ended. Right? So if somebody floats out an opinion and you may not agree with opinion, dude, just let it roll off your back. It's not worth the fight. Why would you get in this altercation on Facebook for all to see and all to look at when you, you, it's really, you don't have a dog in that hunt? Number two, if, if that's not working for you, then get on your knees and roll it over onto the Lord, all right? Say, Lord, you know what? This is so concerning to me. I'm filled with anxiety over this issue. I don't know what to do or what, you know, what I sh- how I should handle this and just bring it before the Lord and allow him to bring you know, a, maybe a solution or a remedy. God may bring to your mind a scripture. God may bring to your mind a, a means by which you can bring uh, healing and unity back into the midst of this conflict that has potential bringing division into the relationship or into your marriage or at workplace or whatever it is. And thirdly, if if that's not working for you, um, you know, you, you've let it roll, you try to let it roll off, you've come to the Lord and you say, you know what, Lord, but I, I really need to address this, I really need to speak to this person, then do that. Go speak to them. Don't speak to person B, C, D, E, and F. You go and you speak to the person that you're having the potential conflict with. Don't, don't step out on the, on the Satan's uh, field of talking to everybody else, but to the person you need to talk to. See, that's humility. Now, if you're like me uh, and you hate conflict and you know that when you're in the, con- in the midst of conflict that the d- dynamics of the relationship have changed somewhat and it's very hard for you to go and to confront the person. It's very difficult. I understand not get that. But you got to do it. I'm telling you, the quicker you do it, the better off it will be. If you just stuff it under the rug and you know, act like it's not there and hope that time will heal all wounds and it'll eventually go away, trust me, it doesn't. It stays fresh, it stays new, and something's gonna happen, something's gonna be said, something's gonna be done, it's gonna pull all that stuff out from under the rug and it's gonna be glaring you in the face and trust me, it will be worse in the long haul than if you just confronted it right up front. Number two is gentleness. We clothe ourselves with gentleness, he says. Gentleness means giving up my personal rights for unity. Gentleness sometimes is called meekness, to be courteous, to clothe yourself and your, to clothe your strength with consideration for others. Um, you know, how many of you here have some strengths? Well, you all do, right? You have some great strengths. But sometimes if we're constantly pushing our strengths onto somebody, it can become a weakness. Sometimes in the midst of conflict, you've got you've to be gentle. You've got to kind of back off and stop just demanding your rights. Um, 
So gentleness is the ability to clothe your strength with consideration for others. You know, I could put you in your place, but I'm going to choose not to. Even if truth is on my side, I could put you, I could really write some, I could really send you a message uh, that would be really cutting and very, uh, you know, demanding or just critical of you, but I choose, I choose not to because that is not going to bring resolution into this, this conflict. Aristotle says it's the one who is satisfied with less than his legal due. The problem is we want our rights and I don't deserve and I'm going to get what I deserve and gentleness is, is setting that aside for a moment. Patience. Here's a big one. Patience. Giving up my sense of timing for the purpose of unity. Patience means that it's the ability to keep anger at a distance, right? Keeping anger at a distance. To some of you, when conflict happens, some of you are like the person who's like, hey, uh, we got to get this resolved today, right now, right here. We're not going anywhere until we resolve this issue. And not all issues can re be resolved that quickly or that easily, right? Some of you, you're just the opposite. You're like, you run away from all of your potential conflicts and you just kind of like, you know, put your head under the covers, cover your ears, la, 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 it's gonna go away. It's gonna be all right in the end. All right, so what God wants us to do is he wants us to like, like come down the middle road here. It's, it's giving up my sense of timing for that of unity. I'm not going to force this on my spouse today. I'm not going to press this thing, this issue, and make them deal with it because it, the timing may just not be quite right. And so God gives you grace so you extend grace to others. For example, let's say you're, got you're in your car, you're heading to a restaurant, husband and wife, and all of a sudden a topic comes up and you have a discussion. And well, uh, you have differing opinions on this discussion, and all of a sudden that discussion becomes a very heated discussion, and so now you enter into the restaurant. Probably not a good time, right? Probably not a good time to try to resolve that conflict. Uh, and you're in a public place, and so patience says, you know what? I'm really fired up about this, but I'm going to put off my anger. I I'm going to put off my opinion uh, until a better time, a more appropriate time when things have cooled down and we can discuss this a little bit more rationally. How many times something happens in the inside of a church on a Sunday and something rubs you the wrong way and you immediately react and, and you react in a way had you just exercised a little bit of patience, says, you know what, I got an opinion on this, but I'm going to back off and I'm going to back down until my anger begins to subside so I can handle this thing more rashly and more Christ-like than if I really go into it right now. There have been times when I've been confronted, you know, on a Sunday and it just like, just irritated me. And I said some things that should not have been said. And later on, you know, now you got to call up, you got to apologize. And had I just said, you know what, it's just it's not the time, this is not the place, I'm just not going to deal with this right now. Patience, bearing one another, giving up my conclusions about people for unity, for the sake of unity. You know, uh, we all have strengths and weaknesses, right? Um, I'm a visionary. I'm a horrible administrator. Um, and so sometimes we can, you know, we have these ideals of each other and, and what we're like. And, 
And so, you know that the pastors move uh, from church to church every three to five years. Um, some, some denominations move their pastors. I'm talking about in, in Baptist churches, the average tenure. I was told that the average tenure of a worship leader right now is two years. The average tenure of a pastor is four years. It's a little bit better than it used to be, but not much. And why is that? Because of the wars within churches. Uh, worship wars and, and the warring. And, you know, you can only take so much fighting for so long until you, you know, you just, you leave that church and you go to the next church because, you know, you know this church has problems. So you just leave that church. You go to another church. You know that church has got problems too because people are there, but they're not your problems, at least not yet. Right? So you get a reprieve. And because of the reprieve, pastors, you know, they just stop and go and they think, you know what? But it's going to be different in this church. It's going to be better this time around. And it's going to be, you know, and it's not. It's the same old problems, just new names, different faces, same old issues going on and on. And so the church that that pastor leaves, they think to themselves, well, you know, that pastor has some strengths. He has some great weaknesses also. So we're going to bring in a pastor and, and a new pastor, and he's going to be just what we wanted and, and thought we needed. And, and he comes, and you begin to see his weaknesses. He begins to see yours, and then there's conflict that goes on, and it gets unresolved. And, and so the cycle goes over and over and over and over again. This happens in churches all the time. And yet God has called us to live a little differently, right? He's called us to, to humble ourselves. He's called us to be gentle with one another, to be patient with one another, to be graceful towards one another, and to bear one another's burdens and to give up my conclusions about you know, other people for the sake of unity. That means to endure, to tolerate, to put up with some things that, you know what, in the big scheme of things, it really doesn't matter. And it's not worth having conflict over. You know, sometimes people write me notes and they never sign them. Uh, I just want you to know, I don't read what's not signed. If you don't have the guts to put your name on it, um, I'm not going to read it. Uh, so if it's given to me, I just throw it in the trash can. But I do know that I get those from time to time. Uh, but if you sign it, I would gladly read it because what I would like to do is sit down and have a discussion with you about because it might be that decisions are made that you don't have all the information on why it was made that, that decision was made or why we did something that we did. So sometimes conflict can arise, all right? So I know guys who have received those kinds of letters and they're like on a witch hunt. Well, I'm going to find out who wrote this. I'm, I'm going I'm to analyze their handwriting against some records I've got of them. And it's like, well... Why would you do that? Why, why would you even spend all the time putting the effort into that? Do you see what all of this does? When, when, when division happens, what comes to a screeching halt? Ministry. The lostness of humanity. The willingness to be out on the front line fighting for the souls that are outside the kingdom of God. And so conflict resolution is so vitally important and so near and dear to the heart of God that he says, hey, clothe yourself with these things in order to enter into this conflict resolution because we want to keep oneness of heart, mind, and spirit of where we're going. We want to keep the common values. Ministry needs are very, very, very important that we meet those needs, but also prayer and the ministry of the word is essential. Number three, conflict resolution brings God's blessings. So if you go back to Acts chapter uh, six, we see these. Um, you notice it says that in verse seven, the blessing that happened is the word of God spread 
The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. There was a large number of priests who became obedient to the faith. So there was great, in verse 5, there was great unity within the body of Christ. Um, Those who were offended by the perceived neglect, watch this, those who were offended by the perceived neglect, let it go. They didn't keep harping on it, and it must have been an effective decision because we never hear about this incident again. Even the, listen, even the apostles let it go. They could have thought, you know what? Why in the world didn't you bring this to us in the first place? Why would you treat us this way? Why would you disrespect us? This? No, they just let it go. Even before Frozen and Elsa singing her song, they let it go. You just let it go. Roll it off your back. Number two, there was involvement, there was participation in in verse 5 and 6. Notice that all seven names of those who were selected were Greek names. In other words, they selected the Hellenistic Jews, thought that they were neglecting their widows. So the apostle says, okay, let's uh, select seven of the men from among you in order to bring about a a resolution to this problem in this situation. Man, I am all about, if you have something of a concern, you have something of a complaint, you have something that you need think needs to be changed in this church, I'm all ears. But I just want you to know up front, when you bring that to me, you're probably going to be part of the solution. Amen. Right? Don't just shove it off on me or somebody else. Get involved. Get involved. This is your church. You're walking around here. You see paper laying on the floor. Pick it up. Put it in a trash can. Don't expect somebody else to do it. You see that, hey, you know what? This seemed to be like we were low on greeters today. Volunteer. Help out. Terry would love for you to say, hey, can I help volunteer in order to be a greeter? We have Easter coming up. We need to double up on everything. And so uh, I would really encourage you, get involved, start participating. And if you see something we can do better, by all means, please bring it to our attention because we want to do better at everything that we do. I don't want you to walk away thinking, well, you can't say anything to the pastor because it's going to be an issue of conflict with him. No, not at all. Now, if you send me notes with no names... I'm sorry, you don't have a voice. Put your name on that. We would love to resolve the conflict or resolve the problem or the situation to make our church all that God wants it to be. And lastly, it says the word of God continued to increase. Listen, we are here. We are committed to proclaiming God's word Sunday in and Sunday out. We want you to grow in God's word. We want you to feed on God's word. We want that to be your standard, your light unto your path. Uh, so that God puts your feet on paths that lead to the destinations that he has for you. We want to get God's word out. We want you to go. We want you to talk about Jesus. We want you to have gospel conversations. We want you to share the love of Jesus with others in real and practical ways because God has called us with the same commission that he gave to the early church, and that is to go and make disciples of all nations. That's our responsibility. So conflict resolution, the bottom line is, it's worth the effort. It's worth the effort because it's God's process of transforming our lives into the likeness of Christ. You see, if you're a runner, when you have conflict, you just run. 
You just run. And you never resolve. You never bring a resolution. But every time you run, you just keep carrying all of that emotional baggage with you. Would it not be better if we would come together and just say, you know what? There's a problem here. Let's sit down and talk about it, and let's resolve it. I don't care if it's in a church, in your marriage, at work, wherever you are. Would the world not be a little better place if we simply learned how to talk to one another again? Let's pray together.